listening to the Locked On Broncos podcast, hosted by Cody Rourke, your daily Broncos podcast. From the south stands to the end zone, you are Locked On Broncos here on Thursday, January 30th. Here on the Locked On Broncos podcast, I'm Cody Rourke, your host, NFL analyst and Broncos insider for the Locked On NFL Network. You guys can follow me on Twitter, at Cody Rourke NFL. You can follow the show on Twitter as well, at Locked On Broncos. Today's show is brought to you by our good friends over there at MyBookie. But ladies and gentlemen, I'm super excited about today's episode. We continue our film series review with Joe Rouse of Mile High Report. We're breaking down weeks nine all the way up till Drew Locke's debut against the LA Chargers in week number 12. But ladies and gentlemen, I'm not going to make you wait any further. Let's get into our interview with Joe Rouse of Mile High Report for our film series review. All right, ladies and gentlemen, back here for our film series review, Lockdown Broncos. I'm joined by Joe Rouse of Mile High Report. Last time we spoke, last time we broke down the film from last week's episode of the show, we reviewed weeks five through eight. And now we're going to take a look at week nine. We're going to take a look at the bye week because very, very, very critical news. The Broncos won the bye week. And then we take a look at some key matchups that ultimately led us to Drew Locke, which will close us out to the finale of the film series review starting next week. Joe, how are you doing today, my friend? Uh, obviously very excited about that big Super Bowl matchup coming up this weekend. And, uh, you know, always a great time to talk football. Yeah, happy to be here. It's going to be a good one. And I know we were going back and forth here uh, because uh, we're not going to get you on here for Friday's episode. A uh, quick kind of prediction here at the top before we dive into all the film stuff. In terms of the Super Bowl, how do you see it going? And if you had to choose an ideal winner, what would your ideal scenario be for the Super Bowl this weekend? So I'm rooting for the 49ers, but I'm picking the Chiefs. Okay. All righty. Uh, it's it's kind of hard to pick against Pat Mahomes at this point, And I just think the Chiefs defense is good enough that there's going to be issues for Jimmy G. And I think he won't be able to score enough points. So ah, I hope I'm going to be intrigued to see that. Well, I think it's a big game for Jimmy Garoppolo, too, because, I mean, he hasn't had these playoff games where he's just lighting it up. I mean, there's been some things he's done well. That first drive against Minnesota, it was pretty good. Then after he threw the interception, things just kind of slowed down a little bit for him, and they really utilized that running game there. But I think they're uh, they're going to have to find a way to get the passing game going, and Jimmy G is going to have to be on his game. Uh, I think that the running attack for San Francisco is great, but I think the Chiefs are going to come out here and try to game plan to stop that and try to force Jimmy G to throw, which – uh, you know, it could go one or two ways. It depends on which Jimmy G shows up. But uh, yeah, we're all looking forward to the Super Bowl. We'll, uh, we'll do a little bit of a poll here on Twitter. We'll give all of our guest picks throughout the week on who has the Super Bowl. But ladies and gentlemen, let's dive into our film series review. We're jumping into week nine. And this was the action where we know Brandon Allen was jumping in as the new starting quarterback for the Broncos. Joe Flacco placed on injured reserve with that herniated disc in his neck area. And now all of a sudden, the talk and the media, the buildup, Brandon Allen, what if he likes Lights it up for the Broncos in his debut. Do they go with Drew Locke? I mean, all these questions kind of reared its head uh, prior to this matchup. But coming into it, Brandon Allen entering the lineup. No Emmanuel Sanders. You have Cortland Sutton still there. And Brandon Allen goes to him very early in a, a spectacular catch over Denzel Ward for a touchdown. We saw that happen there and uh, some momentum there. And, and this was really a, a battle of really two teams that are struggling uh, for their identity, both two in teams at the time. And the Browns weren't who we thought they were and the Broncos. You know, this is one of those games where I felt like we may might have gotten a false positive on what this team could be, especially with Brandon Allen. Yeah. Uh, after this game, it was kind of a QB wins kind of win. 
Uh, Brandon Allen had a couple of really nice big plays, but a lot of it was he got the ball in the hands of like Noah Fant. Noah Fant broke three tackles on his way to a long touchdown. Uh, Cortland Sutton bailed him out on the touchdown catch over Ward. I mean, I give him a lot of credit. Brandon Allen wasn't afraid to give his receivers a chance on the ball, but at the same time, his accuracy was definitely, it wasn't great. Uh, his ball placement, there was a couple plays. It shows up later on, too, where the receivers kind of have to bail him out. And I would say, though, his mobility made a big difference for the offense, and you could really kind of get an idea of what, what was coming once Drew Locke was able to play. And there was a specific play, too. I, I believe it was Miles Garrett that was having pressure off the outside edge against him. And his mobility, Brandon Allen was able to pick up the first down with his legs, which is something that we, I mean, through the first eight weeks, we didn't see that with Joe Flacco. We were almost like, okay, the Broncos might benefit from having a mobile quarterback. And so I think a lot of people, too, remember after this game, everybody's going crazy. You know, I, I posed the question beforehand, what if Brandon Allen lights it up? What does that put the Broncos at in terms of the quarterback position? Uh, I think ultimately Brandon Allen had a good first game. And, you know, he had a pretty good second game, too. And then he came back down to earth. And we're going to get to that in just a little bit. But take a look here as well. Some notes. Justin Hollins notched his first NFL sack. And in this, though, the pass rush was productive for the Broncos. They were able to fluster Baker Mayfield a little bit. Even though they had Jarvis Landry, they had Odell Beckham Jr. Those receivers really weren't much of a threat in this game due to the fact that the Broncos defense was playing pretty stingy, which we saw them kind of turn things around a little bit against L.A., build up to Tennessee. Obviously, the game against Kansas City. They really, it was just kind of one of those blowout, embarrassing type games. And then the Colts, it was just a heartbreaker. But this Broncos defense started to get some things rolling a little bit. Uh, and overall, and they had guys like Duke Dawson playing inside the nickel. Um, and outside of that, the defense did what it was supposed to do. The offense still struggled. And really, the bright spot came from Brandon Allen in the passing game, which wasn't something to be completely special about. But the run game, like you said, struggled. They didn't have a lot of those kind of plays where we saw Philip Lindsay, you know, break a big run. I mean, it was a very limited year for him and in this matchup too, the Browns defense, they just swarmed. They swarmed against the run pretty well. Yeah. It's one of those games where the Browns kind of had the Broncos bottled up except for a few big plays where they didn't. And that was, ended up being the difference in the game. Uh, the one thing that really made the difference though in this game, and it didn't get talked about at the time because Brandon Allen, the defense is really the reason Denver won this game. Justin Simmons and Von Miller, I think in particular, those, they just, they came up big. I do think this game also really illustrated how important the addition of Tim Patrick was going to be. Uh, leading up to this game, there was a lot of debate and people weren't necessarily happy about the fact that Tim Patrick meant it might be Theo Riddick or Drew Locke, but there was no question that Tim Patrick was going to be coming off IR. And watching what they had to try and do with Deontay Spencer uh, kind of throughout the game really made it clear that that was going to have to happen. Kudos to Spencer. He did more than I thought he was going to do last year, but he was kind of over, he was kind of exposed as an offensive weapon. He was small. He had a fumble. He had a missed deep catch. He just, he, he's a special teams guy. He's a good returner. I don't think he's ever going to be a receiver you can win with. And yeah, other than that, I think that was kind of it. Yeah. Devontae Harris had a really great couple of plays in this game. Uh, really good pass defense uh, in the second quarter. And then he had one at the end of the game that was really clutch. And this was one of those games too, where we noticed in the secondary, okay, hey, maybe the Broncos have a guy that they can develop, uh, you know, a young guy in the secondary. Devontae Harris was playing with some confidence coming in. And you're playing against a pretty good receiving core. I mean, we all yeah. thought coming into 2019, the Browns are going to be a team that was going to, you know, maybe be a one or a two seed in the AFC based on just the paper product itself with Baker Mayfield, Jarvis Landry, Odo Beckham Jr., just the weapons that they had. And you know what? Here's where the Broncos run defense kind of came into uh, the play a little bit because they were going 
going against Nick Chubb, who was the NFL's leading rusher at the time. He was having a lot of success, and they kind of slowed him down a little bit. He didn't get going as much as uh, I, I think the Browns had hoped to get him into that whole entire mix there. Uh, but outside of that, you like you mentioned, the Broncos defense came up big. And you mentioned on here, too, Justin Simmons. There was a play late in the game, and, and this was in the, the pretty much the red zone area. Vic Fangio on the sideline on the broadcast angle is almost kind of calling out to Justin to blitz. He comes up late and he blitzes, times the snap perfectly, tackle for loss in the backfield, brings up fourth down. That was huge for the Broncos. And this was one of those moments that, that I think we we're looking at Simmons like, okay, hey, this guy is the real deal. I think if there's any doubt in your mind that the Broncos should pay Justin Simmons to keep him around long term, you should go back and watch this game. Not only uh, for the plays he makes, where he is the guy, but you can see the impact he's having just calling out and kind of like the entire secondary is built around what he and Kareem Jackson can do. And what was really surprising when I was watching this game again is even with Nick Chubb being such a threat, Fangio used a lot of split coverages, especially in the red zone, which means that both the safeties were back with the idea that it was keeping Baker Mayfield from being able to beat them quickly. And it was forcing Nick Chubb to have to try and do enough. And because of it, Denver was able to hold them to a lot of field goals. And I think, again, I think it made the difference. And Justin Simmons is obviously the key to that. A great plug-in system, too, for Vic Fangio. And the hope is that the Broncos sign him to a long-term extension here this offseason. There is a chance he could be franchise tagged, but more likely the team is going to come to terms with him on an agreement, potentially around a five-year deal. We wait for that to happen, but the Broncos would end up winning this game. Big win for them. They go to three wins on the season. And then that transitioned us to the bye week. And big news, obviously, Tim Patrick coming off IR. Drew Locke would begin practicing for the Broncos. His time period, his window was activated. And I think everybody was wondering, or are they going to throw him in after the bye week? Or are you going to throw him in against a team like Buffalo or Minnesota? That would not be an ideal situation for a rookie. So the Broncos obviously felt as if, okay, we're going to place Brandon Allen here in that situation. He's going to go against these two tough teams because he's going to have the bye week to prepare. And really, the, Bur- the Broncos didn't do anything practice-wise for the bye week. Vic Fangio gave the guys some time off to heal and spend time with their families, which is something that won over the locker room even more with some of these players, which I think came at a very uh, opportune time. But we'll jump into what happens after the bye week coming up in just a moment. I got to remind you guys to check out our sponsor of today's episode of the show. That's our good friends over there at MyBookie. And if you enjoy football and you have a heartbeat, then you know what's coming. It's that time of the year. Plan a party, get the snacks ready, and get your wagers locked in because the Super Bowl is finally here. You've got a feeling about who's going to be bringing home the Lombardi Trophy, and you do not want to miss out on your last chance to get your bets in before the NFL season ends. Whether you're choosing the straight-up winner of the game or making a side bet with a friend, my MyBookie offers you the most up-to-date odds and a site that makes winning extra cash easy and fast. MyBookie features the most complete lineup of Super Bowl props of any sports book in the business. The amount of betting options is simply unrivaled, and you can even visit MyBookie.ag party now to access a printable prop sheet for the big game. Is football not your jam? Well, if not, don't sweat it because they've got you covered with lines on every other major sport, including the NBA, the NHL, and the NCAA. Plus, if you deposit right now, they will match your deposit halfway. That's basically free cash to throw down your best bet. This will be the last chance to take advantage to sign up now. Enter promo code locked on when you make your deposit. That's promo code locked on to give your bankroll a jumpstart. My bookie, where you play, you win, and you get paid. 
the Broncos would open up from the bye week against a very, very tough Minnesota Vikings team on the road. And coming into this matchup, I felt as if there were some questions, some major questions in terms of, okay, they're going against a pretty good offense, pretty good receivers. And the question was, is Adam Thielen going to play? But no, they ended up seeing BC Johnson from Colorado State. And really, I think the biggest thing in this matchup, Joe, was the fact that Brandon, now in this Broncos offense, they came out firing right away. And there was a play, I believe, it was on the first series. Uh, I believe Brandon Allen's first pass was kind of sloppy. And then the next one, he finds Noah Fant down the right sideline, right between the hash mark, uh, well-placed football. And then you'd connect with Cortland Sutton on a big play downfield against Xavier Rhodes. I mean, this was one of those games where the Broncos showed out. And you were really excited about it because they're going against a very good run defense and a pretty good defense altogether. Uh, what was your you know, your thought process really on the start that the Broncos had in this game to get up at such a big time. I mean, this is the game that really showed what could happen with when Scangarella really opened up the offense. Uh, the shot play to Fant was just insane. Uh, 21 personnel. They used Deontay Spencer as the receiver, which is weird because in 21 personnel, normally you have two tight ends. Well, in 21 personnel, you have two tight ends, uh, two running backs, and just one receiver, and they kept Spencer in. They put him in motion, and usually when they had him in motion on plays like that, it was really obvious he was going to be the one getting the ball. But instead, it was play action, then Fant down the seam on the right side, and he just he had a huge, huge opening in the, in the zone. And the Corlin Sutton catch was big. A couple things that kind of showed up in that first half, and I looked over it again, is even though Denver did get up big, they had a couple plays that kind of went their way that was kind of when, when Denver blew the lead in the second half, it wasn't necessarily that all of a sudden they collapsed so much as just the Vikings were a really good team and things kind of finally started clicking for them. In the first half, Kirk Cousins sat on a receiver too long, ended up having an incomplete pass where he should have had an easy 12 yards. There was a couple sacks, just just plays where Cousins should have done more and he didn't. And again, testament, like kudos to Denver for kind of making the most of it and getting that lead. But after the games, I know CBS made a big deal about the the 199 narrative about how in five years, Denver was the first team to blow a 20-point lead like that. But the thing is, again, Denver is, in terms of overall roster talent this last year, Denver was not on the same level as Minnesota. So the fact that they played with them as tough as they did, I thought it was really, really encouraging. What I think, too, Joe, is this matchup. I mean, everybody expected Minnesota to just come in and, and steamroll the Broncos with how yep. well that they were playing offensively and really off the play action. Uh, one thing that changed for the Broncos, uh, being on the field a lot defensively in the second half, that was a big key for them. But the Minnesota Vikings, they went up-tempo. They went no huddle, and the Broncos yep. just had a really hard time adjusting. And you talk about miscommunicationers. This is where we started to see some of the teams utilize that formula where they'd run guys on the over out against the Broncos when they were in a cover three defense. They'd identify that, and that's what led to, obviously, Rudolph being wide open for a touchdown and being able to do that. Then on the touchdown to Stephon Diggs, Chris Harris Jr. playing at cover three, and Kareem Jackson doesn't get over in time. Kareem Jackson openly says, look, that was a, you know, I should have been over there, and uh, it led to that narrative, too, which I know you and I have talked about a lot. Everybody on Twitter saying Chris Harris Jr. is washed, Uh, but the reality is the film, when you know the scheme, you know the play, it, it actually doesn't prove that. It doesn't say that that's what the narrative is is it just says that look there's there's miscommunication on several times for this Broncos defense consistently this year that led to some big plays and it was something that teams started to game plan for they started to game plan to maybe get them in a cover three look and uh, the Broncos unfortunately you know it took them a few weeks to adjust to it uh, you mentioned also some nice plays too. Shelby Harris three sacks breakout game for him uh, obviously a forced fumble 
Will Parks on special teams coming down right before the halftime, forcing a fumble on the kick return. And unfortunately, Brandon Allen at that point threw an interception. And it didn't really lead to anything for the Minnesota Vikings, but it was one of those plays that snowballed into momentum going into the second half for Minnesota. Yeah, and I think the the big thing from this game, I think you you touched on it with Harris, is the narrative started how about how he's getting too old and he's washed and all that stuff. But the thing is, what it really illustrated in this game is how Minnesota kind of created the blueprint for how to get big plays on Denver. Basically, devote enough blockers to Von Miller and find a way to get isolation with a crossing route over the top. It ends up leading to these gaps in the zone because if you leave any zone long enough without getting pressure on the quarterback, holes are going to show up. And that happened here, and it started to happen in games basically from here on out. And I don't think that's necessarily on Chris Harris, and I don't necessarily blame Fangio. I just think it's one of those things. Denver essentially had one proven cornerback in the safeties. And again, kudos to Devontae Harris, but he shouldn't be on Stefan Diggs. Um, there was a couple plays in this game where that was just – and again, that's not that's not trying to hate on him by any means, but it's Stefan Diggs is one of the best five receivers probably in the league. Easily. Asking any corner to cover him one-on-one is recipe for disaster. And so Diggs in general, just he created problems. And so did Cortland Sutton too. But the one thing too is after Cortland Sutton had a several big receptions through the air, obviously drawing penalties, he's really good at that. He almost led the, the NFL, if I'm not mistaken, in terms of penalties drawn yep. by a receiver. Yep. And uh, this is where we saw Tim Patrick kind of emerge. And we thought to ourselves after this game, okay, look, if Tim Patrick can consistently put something together in a sense of when teams are looking to shut down Cortland Sutton, if he can respond the way he did in this game, look, the Broncos have that size on the outside. What happens if they get that slot player? And I think that's that's a big narrative that we're going to be looking at all offseason in terms of speed and obviously a guy that can be a presence inside the slot. Tim Patrick, uh, a lot of love for him. Uh, you know, coming off of that broken hand, he sustained against the Oakland Raiders in week one on a special teams play uh, for him coming back. It was a big game. He also banged up his shoulder on this one, played through it. Uh, but outside of that, uh, the biggest disappointment was the Broncos. Look, they had a chance late in that game to make a little bit of a run. And there was a play, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, I felt as if Brandon Allen kept it and he actually ended up giving it to Philip Lindsay, who got the play. If I, actually, you know, Brandon Allen kept it. It was a run play. And you almost have to wonder if Noel Fant maybe blocks a little bit longer. Brandon Allen might score a touchdown. The Broncos win this game. Unfortunately, settles in with a goal line situation. You know, you have an attempt uh, that ends up as, you know, not calling a PI. Uh, you know, you have a face mask on Tim Patrick by the defensive back. And your last attempt to Noel Fant, some contact there on a back shoulder throw. And obviously goes incomplete. The Broncos lose on that. The refs just swallowed the whistle, uh, unfortunately, which they tend to do that, I guess, in Minnesota. And it was, I mean, it was a, it was a kick in the, kick in the, kick in the stomach a little bit, but it was an encouraging loss, I think, is, is guess my, that was my big takeaway from this one, but it was, it was a painful ending. It didn't feel as bad, like overall, like in a sense, like, okay, you know, yeah, the Broncos, they were up 20 to three at one point. They get outscored big time in the second half. But I think the thing that we took away is if we looked at the narrative coming into the game, look, the Broncos roster in comparison to talent on offense and defense didn't come anywhere close to what Minnesota has. And they competed and they battled their tail off. I mean, it was something that Vic Fangio alluded to is how proud of he was of these guys who just battled and stuck with it. And things are going to turn around. And I really believe that this team embodies that mindset. They they could play with anybody and considering the fact that they were the third youngest team in the NFL last year and they headed into this game with essentially a rookie that had no prior NFL experience at the quarterback position. That to me, in my opinion, is 
is something you can build on going forward. And, and ultimately, you know, the Broncos ended up in a loss category, could have went either way. And it's one of those games you look back and you go, what could have been if they were able to hold on a little bit longer? What happens, you know, if Noel Fant catches that back shoulder? What happens if the refs throw the flag uh, for but defense pass interference or the face mask? It was just one of those things that could have gone either way. And ultimately, the Broncos lose this one. It served as a heartbreaker for everybody in Broncos country, but I can tell you what can mend a broken heart. And that is if you're listening to Denver Sports here on the Lockdown Podcast Network. You listen to Lockdown Broncos every day, obviously. You should be listening to Lockdown Rockies with Jenna Garcia, Lockdown Nuggets with Adam Adamatas and Harrison Wynn, and Lockdown Avalanche with Chris Maselli over there. A great lineup of your favorite Denver sports all on one podcast network. Check it out today. The Lockdown Podcast Network covering your Denver sports. And uh, let's get to the Buffalo Bills game here, Joe, because uh, this was probably the ugliest game of the entire season for Denver, maybe outside the Kansas City game at home. And it was just really the Broncos didn't come out. They didn't compete. They just got smacked in the mouth. Von Miller couldn't get to the quarterback. And Josh Allen was having a field day with his legs and really exposed this Broncos defense early on. And the the key to this game coming into it is Shelby Harris, who was having a really great, obviously a follow-up game from the Minnesota Vikings. He got hurt in the pre game warmups and that was one of the things that I think hurt the Broncos because as you mentioned they had to place in Malik Reed and they had to change some things up too in terms of that defensive end position and really there was no contain all day long when it came to Josh Allen and Buffalo who look they made the playoffs and and they turned things around this year Buffalo is a legit team in the future in my opinion right now if they keep building and that defense just took it to the Broncos offensive line and gave up a lot of sacks and this was the week where Connor McGovern Ron Leary and as well as Dalton Reisner, they missed two consecutive days of practice leading up to this game. And I felt like that had a big impact in maybe how the O-line played as an entire unit. I agree. This this is the game where the offense really just it got completely shut down. And kudos to Leslie Frazier, the defensive coordinator for the Bills, because he's he's probably one of the more underrated coordinators in the league. But just in terms of talent and just Brandon Allen's uh his his lack of overall arm strength, I think, showed up in this game. If I remember correctly, this this game, the wind was blowing like crazy. Uh, he couldn't really go downfield. And then Buffalo kind of planned around that, and they shut down the running game, and they just made Denver one-dimensional, and Brandon Allen couldn't catch him or couldn't keep it going. Uh, the offensive line, as badly as they struggled, and they did struggle, at least two of the sacks I thought in this game were definitely on Brandon Allen more than the offensive line. Uh, there's a third one that I would ar- I could I could argue either way. Uh, but I thought Brandon Allen, he kind of, the, the Buffalo Bills were in single high. Brandon Allen got the snap and he looked to his left. And he had a dump off on his right side and it was out of a trips formation. So he definitely could have had a, an easy way to get rid of the ball, but he didn't. Uh, but on the other side of it, like Dalton Reisner did definitely get beat by Ed Oliver. And that led to the last sack of the game. Uh, you already mentioned the mobility, but I think... Denver's defense did a really admirable job in the first half, considering the fact that they didn't really have a lot of help. But Josh Allen's mobility just kept the the Buffalo Bills alive. Um, Malik Reed has that big blown containment. That was the easiest one to think about now. But uh, he also had a 14-yard scramble on third and 12, where uh, 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 Derek Wolf just didn't get to him. He he had a hand on him in the pocket, but couldn't bring him down. But also, uh, there's a first and 10... Late in the game, about 30 seconds left, Buffalo's trying to get a field goal, and he had a 14-yard scramble. If not for the fact that Josh Allen completely mismanaged the clock, Buffalo should have had a field goal at the end of the half. And granted, you know, I'll take it, but his mobility was 
killing them early. And I, I think, too, in this game, just the fact that the Broncos on that first drive, you mentioned the win. Tredavious White was playing press coverage all over Cortland Sutton, and Sutton rolled his ankle in this game as well. But this is one of the games everyone was talking about. Can Cortland Sutton follow up Minnesota with a tough game against a guy who's going to be you know, an all-pro this year at the cornerback position? And Tredavious White was physical. He was everywhere. And Brandon Allen's ball placement, he threw a really bad interception to, to Tredavious White, a miscommunication between him and Sutton. And really, that was just the snowball effect to the Broncos really not competing in this game and getting kind of blown out, not necessarily by a big score, but obviously when you lose 20-3, you're bummed out about it. It's not something that you go back and you take into consideration of, you know, is this a game we can build on? I think this is one of the games, too, if we want to throw out the uh, the Kansas City Chiefs snow game. This was one of the games I go back and I look at, and I was like, if I'm the Broncos, I want to throw this game away. I want to burn the tape because you didn't get anything out of this. Devontae Harris, this is where he, we started to see his struggles continue. It started yep. with some confidence against Stephon Diggs, and we talked about the dynamic of him there, but in this game, against Cole Beasley. He just had a rough game, and this is what led to Isaac Adam being placed back into the starting lineup. The Broncos lose once again, and that sets everything up for our discussion with the Los Angeles Chargers. Drew Locke, his first home game for the Broncos, getting into all the action there, and what were the biggest questions coming into this game? Because everyone was wondering, what's Drew Locke going to do? And I remember just the outcry during Twitter of, of this game, and everybody was saying, look, the Broncos are being way too conservative. Yep. They're not letting Drew Locke throw the football, but you got to factor in the Broncos are going to get a pretty damn good defense, a very good pass rush, and this was arguably, in my opinion, one of the offensive line's best performances as an entire unit against Bosa and Ingram, who these guys were both healthy, and that Broncos defense, uh, you know, did a pretty good job against Phillip Rivers, Draymond Jones getting an interception early on. They got some pressure, and, but really in this game, there were some breakdowns in coverage, Justin Simmons and Isaac Adam running into each other, which led to a big play by Mike Williams. I felt in this game, we saw a lot from Isaac Adam, and everybody wanted to roast him as well. Uh, and, and obviously, the, I think the biggest story of this game, no Von Miller and his consecutive star streak ended at 95 games in a row. He tried to go pregame, didn't feel good with it. Uh, but his energy was all over the place, and the Broncos somehow win this game. But what were your thoughts going back to Drew Locke's debut? And, and this was a big yeah. game. This was a turning point for the Broncos in 2019. Oh, most definitely. It, it's kind of crazy to think about what could have been with this season if Drew Locke had never played. It's kind of it's interesting to think about the fact that that was even a question. Right up to this game, I ended up going back over all of Drew Locke's uh, preseason tape, and I was very nervous because in the preseason, his footwork was still quite messy. Uh, his he, he was reading the field slow for, for what you were hoping for. And he comes in this game, and he really kind of shocked me. Uh, his footwork looked a lot better. He was still a little bit too reliant on his first read, but I mean, he was a rookie coming off of two weeks of practice. And that was really one of the things that I was really stuck on when people were getting mad about the play calling and how uh, conservative it got. Cause it did get kind of conservative at the end. Um, but one of the things was Drew Locke had had two weeks of practice. And the fact that they were trying to get Brandon Allen practice at the same time meant that Drew Locke had limited snaps running plays. And you can argue one way or another, whether that was the right call, but the fact that he didn't, have all those plays and I mean everyone remembers him looking at the uh, the play call sheet on his arm part of the reason he was doing that is he didn't know all the plays yet uh, so you only have so many play calls to go with and then you're, you're facing off against Melvin Ingram Joey Bosa Derwin James like you, you got to kind of try and protect him a little bit and I thought Scangarella did a good job of that um, the other big takeaway from this game I thought was Justin Hollins the fact that Von Miller wasn't in this game and then Malik Reed actually got hurt Justin Hollins played a ton of snaps in this game. 
And he forced a hold by Russell Okung in the second half, and it was huge for the game. Uh, Philip Rivers was driving, and they he had a first down on a pass play. But because of uh, Justin Hollins, he, he had a jump on the snap, so he timed the snap right. He ended up getting blocked in the back by Andre Patton, who it was never called. It was a chip, and it wasn't like a, a really clean hit, but it was enough that you could have said that. But because he didn't get a good enough hit on it, Hollins had such a clear rush past Okung that Okung had to basically do a Garrett Bowles grab on him to hold him, and it was an easy flag, and it ended up saving Denver from a conversion on third and ten. Uh, but yeah, Drew Lock, I think taking away from this game, this is the first game that even even though there was definitely some growing pains, especially like the interception, a couple of different plays, this is the pl- this is the turning point in the season where all of a sudden you really saw hope at the quarterback position. And I like that too because I, I was kind of skeptical at the very beginning. I, I know you and I both approached Drew Locke's first start with like, okay, you know, let, let's see what we see with his first start. Yep. His first couple of snaps, we saw that that butterfly effect a little bit, him kind of throwing off of his back foot and kind of relying on that first drive, that first series. He settled down in, in drive number two for him. He got some things going, and he did have a pretty bad in, uh, interception to Denzel Perryman a little bit late in that third quarter. Uh, he also mentioned De- Deshaun Hamilton. There was a drop on third down uh, that was costly the entire stadium booted my girlfriend went to this game and unfortunately I didn't go to it uh, but she noticed that too she said the whole stadium was loud they booed him and really we were starting to wonder okay where is Deshaun Hamilton's spot yeah. and little did we know his stock would rise once he got more comfortable with Drew Locke in the system and, and obviously ladies and gentlemen we're going to be getting to that here as we continue our film series review the season finale starts next week Joe and I'll be breaking down the final weeks of the show we talk about that big road win against the Houston Texans week 13 all the way through week 16 we're going to break it down next week but uh, Joe real quick here we had some questions from Broncos country in terms of our film series review and somebody made a great point I know we didn't get to talk about it really with the Minnesota Vikings game Uh, I want to go back to it Andy Janovich obviously getting injured was a major major blow to this team and it did hurt the Broncos in the run game I felt and but the one thing that we did see from it the blessing in disguise was that Andrew Beck transformed into a guy that we feel like could be used as a hybrid not only just as a fullback H-back type guy but he can play tight end for the team and I think he's got a very valuable role especially in a Pat Shermer style of offense. I do too. Uh, one of the things I, I started doing a lot of homework on the Pat Shermer offense and where it changes for Scangarello. And one of the big differences is the fact that Pat Shermer uses uh, 11 personnel. So one tight end, three receivers on more than 70% of his snaps compared to in Scan- with Scangarello it was about 55%. The fact that Andrew Beck is going to be able to contribute as both a tight end and or a back really makes him a valuable player. Plus he's a special teams contributor. Because uh, one of the things that Pat Shermer does like to do is even though he'll come out in like 11 personnel, there there will probably be snaps where essentially Noah Fant is a big slot receiver. So having a tight end, and it could be Jeff Howerman, it could be Troy Fumagalli, it could be Andrew Beck as that other tight end on the line. Having that versatility there would be very great. I think the Broncos are ultimately hoping to get that back in the mix in 2020. I know there's a lot of questions for Drew Locke. There's a lot of questions for this offense, but I think Broncos fans still need to embrace the bill that you got to be patient because this team will piece it together. It's going to take some time. Now, luckily, we enter the offseason. They're going to get a lot of work together. They're going to be able to learn the whole system with Drew Locke as the starting quarterback, terminology under Shermer's offense. They're going to mix and match it together, and they got a coaching staff that is very 
experienced all across the board. And obviously with Mike Shula coming into the mix now, I think the Broncos young guys that they have on offense and defense, they've got some really dang good coaches that have a lot of experience in transforming players and getting them to play at the best of their ability. And uh, we certainly look forward to that. And, you know, Joe and I, we're going to be doing a film series review for 2020 after that season ends. We might even do it weekly as well. So we might end up having you on the show here, Joe, for some of our post games when the Broncos play. And, uh, you know, Joe, as always, I want to thank you for jumping on here today for our film series review here, Locked on Broncos, breaking down all the action. The Broncos start to face that turning point with Drew Locke entering the lineup. And Broncos fans are very excited because now they are locked on and really took on a new meaning. And, uh, Joe, look forward to next week, man, when we break down weeks 13 through 16. Yeah, it's going to be fun.